these opportunities because I, I, you know, barely anybody in my family even had a college degree. So to go to college and get involved, made the track team one year, that was too much. I didn't stick with that. <laughs> You're listening to the Teak Nation podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Hey, what's going on, Teak Nation? This is Sanso Slara, West Coast Regional Director, and today we are going to be joined on the podcast here with our friend and frauder, Tony Watson. Tony, I'll give you an opportunity here to go ahead and do a little intro on yourself, and then we'll go ahead and start talking about, you know, some of the goal setting and some of what it's like to be, you know, a small business owner. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Um, Tony Watson here uh, out of Salt Lake City, originally from Minnesota. Uh, where I joined Teak at St. Cloud State, um, Theta Rho chapter, served as Preetness, Chrysophiles, Pylorides, um, pretty much everything, <laughs> house manager, uh, had a lot of involvement with the chapter post-college uh, as well, um, and moved to uh, Salt Lake about uh, eight years ago, so I live in Salt Lake City now, I've worked in medical device sales and sales leadership, started my own company uh, in the meantime, which we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, but I've always stayed close with Teak, still in a Teak Dynasty uh, Fantasy Football League, and uh, love the organization and uh, excited, for especially for those of you who are starting to get back to school, hopefully safely, um, and uh, getting some new normal, and uh, hopefully can share some of what I got from Teak and have continued to, to get from Teak to share back with you. So hopefully you can have some of those same uh, you know, positive experiences that I did. Love that, man. Love that. So let's let's kick it off as far as the the business goes so it's it's outdoor apparel right that's that's what you have going on yeah outdoor gear and apparel so when i moved out west i was already an outdoorsy person but then got more into hiking and then as i hiked up you know one mountain i might have looked at it and said hey i wonder if i could run that part can i run the whole thing maybe and i just kept pushing so you know hiking became faster and faster and became trail running uh, running a bit competitively and now I've done an ultra marathon 50 50 kilometers so 31 miles kind of a baby ultra marathon as far as those go but breaking into that uh, side of it backcountry skiing uh, as well I still remember my first spring here I saw some ski lines up on the mountain way away from the ski resort and I said to myself who are those crazy people and how did they get there and a year later, I skied the exact same spot <laughs> with a guide and uh, bought all the equipment and uh, done avalanche training and gotten into that. So through that journey of kind of reinventing myself as a not just an outdoors person, but a, a mountain person, um, bought a lot of gear, a lot I didn't need, uh, some I really did, um, and some just wasn't great. So ideas kept generating. And, and for those of you who, who watch closely, you might've noticed um, there was a nice write-up on a fundraiser I did uh, for St. Jude, summiting the 10 most prominent peaks in Utah in 10 days to raise $10,000. And we hit all those goals. Uh, finished a day early, raised a little over 10,000. It's a really cool experience. But during that time, I was by myself in the mountains every day for 10 days straight. A lot of time to think, try gear, work with gear, have problems with gear, uh, and that really helped generate a lot of the ideas that um, uh, are the basis of All Outer now, which is the name of our company, allouter.com. We sell into some retail stores, Amazon, gear.com, and on our own website primarily. And uh, a lot of the things we have are not things that 
on the surface are super obvious. Um, but then once you see it, it's one of those things you, once you have it and appreciate it, you, you don't really want to be without it. And one is just, this hat is a good example. So we have a, uh, the green screen. <laughs> there we go. Sunglass keeper. So your sunglasses don't fall out. I start most of my runs in the dark. Um, even in summer, I, I always want to beat the heat. So I'm going to start in the dark. I don't need these, but the sun eventually comes up. So you want your sunglasses with. There's no better place to put them than your hat, except you often will lose, scratch, drop your glasses if they don't have a way to stay there. Uh, we also have laser cut mesh that's cooler and lighter, and then a uh, sweatband built in uh, to keep sweat and salt off your face. So it's always uh, a number of things we've added to our products. We have gloves and backpacks, and then we have uh, three other products in the pipeline. We're only a little over a year in business. So it's, um, it's coming along. Um, Slowly but surely, I have a full-time job still in a family, but uh, it's been going really well so far. That's good to hear. I mean, honestly, I, I can appreciate as far as the gear goes, right? Like you're out there living it in the moment. You want to make the adaptations that you need for whatever it is that you're doing. I mean, I, you know, I don't live in Salt Lake right now, but I, I did live in Park City for a little while. I know, uh, you know, sharing that Utah vibe and getting out there and getting after it essentially. So. I'm, I'm stoked that you're making gear that's, uh, you know, essentially what people need, right? Like, yeah, that's what it's about. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's a, a hobby in a sense right now, meaning I haven't fully committed uh, my time and energy, frankly, because of money. I couldn't make enough money doing it. It does have that potential and we have that potential. We have great followership and a lot of people who once they have our products, they love them. I actually just, we do a custom hat program though, uh, too, for those of you listening, um, or we can put a Teak logo, a Chapter logo, uh, whatever, um, uh, in that spot. And one of our customers that buys them, or both of them, uh, our first two, almost sold out in the first few weeks. They, they had 50 hats each customized, and they're ready to order again. I just shipped them to them like two weeks ago. Uh, one's a little outfitter store in the middle of the desert, and the other one's a race company that puts on a bunch of races. And both have almost sold out uh, instantly. So... It's a good sign. Uh, and that, sure. I think that's going to help sure. us a lot, but it's because people see it and they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. And we try to make sure we have at least three unique and useful features on everything we make. Um, and so if one thing doesn't click with you, another might. Um, and so we, we try to keep that going with everything we have in the pipeline as well. Cool, cool, for sure. So, I mean, obviously you're Teak, right? I mean, Let's talk a little bit about how that has influenced you and how it's been a, you know, a positive impact on, you know, you being a small business owner, you even getting out there and getting after as far as hiking and those pieces are concerned. Yeah, it's, you know, my goal setting nature uh, really came from my experience at Leadership Academy, which is what prompted today. I found my note card uh, when I was like 28 or 29 that I had wrote out when I was 20 years old. And when I wrote mine, I believe they ask everyone to do like a five-year timeline. I did 10 because I, I, I did what uh, some of you might be familiar with this term, BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goals. It's <laughs> what organizations often do to try to say like, we're going to you know, end racism in the workplace. It's like, whoa, that's a big thing. How are you going to know when you've done it? And how do you get there? That seems like too much. But it's really good to have those big goals because even if you don't always get to it, you've probably made a lot of progress. So I made some big goals and but gave myself a more reasonable timeline. And I don't even recall all of them. And unfortunately, I've since lost the card. And I just cannot find it. Too many uh, moves 
and uh, businesses. But uh, a few things I recall was to get, you know, get my MBA. I didn't even know if I would at the time. I wasn't going straight to business school when I uh, graduated, um, but I did that. Um, and then the other was to have you know five rental units of some kind. I didn't even own a home yet. Obviously, I was 20 years old and I wanted to get into owning properties. And I ended up, by the time I was 29, I had five houses. Um, and uh, I wanted to travel to 10 new states, travel internationally, all those things happened in that time frame, And I hadn't even looked at the card, but it was simply because I wrote it down, it became committed. You know, it was one of those things that you, you stick to it. And we all know that, but I actually looked it up before the call today, 42%, you're 42% more likely to achieve your goals if you write them down, that's it. Not even the part about sharing or having like a workout buddy or whatever it might be uh, making it public. Those all help too. Sometimes can feel punitive, so not every goal needs to be public. But writing it down, 42% more likely to achieve it, and that's living proof right there. Um, so that mentality now I put into everything I do, um, whether it's you know personal uh, stuff around the house, family time, you know things like that that are just good for quality of life and for family, but also through business. My day job, I had a goal of getting on a national contract. I work at a medical startup. And we're the first of our kind in this product category. And uh, we just announced on a press release last week, I got the national contract, 4,100 hospitals now can buy our product that couldn't have bought it two weeks ago. And that was a goal I set six months ago and didn't even know how to do it. I just said, I'm going to get on this contract and we got it. <laughs> and uh, it's important to commit to that and share publicly when that's appropriate for you and you feel comfortable, but at least write it down. A uh, huge, huge difference maker, I think, in uh, any endeavor. For sure. I mean, I think the whole exercise in general, right? When you think about Leadership Academy, you think about the things that you do and how you grow as a leader throughout the process. I mean, obviously, the no card is great, but you just outlined, right, certain pieces here that you don't have the card, but you've still achieved the goals. And that's the important part here, right? It's like, being able to internalize and be able to have those pieces come to fruition, knowing that the overarching goal is still there. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's, that's fantastic. I, I mean, outside of obviously leadership Academy, there's, there's a ton of stuff that happens. It's a whirlwind. It goes by so fast outside of the no card. Are there any other like notable pieces that you would say that have really stuck with you as far as like goal setting or being a leader? Yeah, a couple things I'll, I'll touch on, but just before we move on from the note card, one other thing I think is really helpful about the writing down a step is you have to really define the goal, right? If you just say, I want to lose weight, if you just say, oh, I want to be a millionaire, it's like, well, why? What's the real goal? Financial security, health, what does health mean to you? How do you measure that? Um, and making it measurable as we all, I think anyone watching this probably knows about SMART goals. Uh, but that measurability piece and timeliness uh, or time measured uh, is really important. And I think writing it down forces you to really think about that instead of just kind of saying, I want to lose weight or I want to make more money. Like why? And what does that really mean? For sure. How do you get there? And then you got to break it down into smaller chunks. Sometimes if you do have a big, hairy, audacious goal, thinking about, okay, what do I do today to get me to that thing that is 10 years from now? Is it saving a little more money? Is it getting another job? Is it reading a book? You know, there's a lot of other pieces that feed into it and you got to break it down for yourself to make it achievable. But uh, from Leadership Academy, one thing I really enjoyed, I was in uh, Leadership Academy 10. That was when it really started to, I think, 
take off. And what I thought was really cool, though, is how we started out uh, more separate and uh, kind of came together through the week um, just by design and uh, kind of built teams as we went uh, through different experience, shared experiences and challenges. And I've uh, actually taken that then into leadership roles. So I've had to integrate teams through mergers and things like that multiple times. And I take pages straight out of the Leadership Academy. I've actually done scavenger hunts and all kinds of like fun outdoor activities that tie us together and, and kind of bring us together in a way that we did in Leadership Academy that some people might think is silly in corporate America, but it worked amazingly well. Um, we did a photo scavenger hunt where I mixed two teams and so they had to kind of work together and there wasn't like an app for this there probably is now this was like six seven years ago but they took photos and each team as they did the photo scavenger hunt they'd see the result of the other team finding one of the things and it was at a ski resort so it was in the summer they're taking pictures of like chipmunks and moose and going on a certain spot uh, through the resort and a hike and all these things well, it turned out because of that virtual like timing and the fact that they were getting all competitive, these were all salespeople. Um, they, one of them ended up paying a guy with a cart to drive them to catch up to the finish line because they had all finished all the photos and had some of the bonus points, but they didn't know exactly where they stood. They just knew the other team was almost done. And I was waiting for them at this like overlook at the ski resort that they had to run up the hill to me. And one team paid to get caught up and then they all foot raced and they got to the end and, and uh, they had to take a picture with their whole team to be done. And so they were all doing selfies with their groups of four and they both were like, we're done. And I'm like, no, you're not like, that's not your whole team. And so then they all got together and they laughed about the whole way the whole thing went, took their big group photo and we got that. And that team was the strongest I've ever worked with uh, really from then on where it had been two organizations within a big company that kind of competed and then they became one. And uh, that was from that leadership academy mentality of we're separate people coming from all over the place. We have some common bonds, but not everybody got along or was going to be best buddies forever. Um, but through the week's activities, we really built upon those shared experiences, the fun, the challenge, all of that. So I, I incorporated into things like that regularly. Absolutely. I mean, there's something to be said there as far as the experiential education goes, right? And that ability to adapt and learn and grow in that group setting. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. It's cool to see that you are taking things as far as the mindset goes from what you did with Teak and Leadership Academy and literally applying it to real world scenarios. Yeah. 22 years ago, guys. So for those of you who might think this stuff's not a big deal. It'll make a big difference in your life. Stay involved in the fraternity. Um, take advantage of these opportunities because I, I, you know, barely anybody in my family even had a college degree. So to go to college and get involved, made the track team one year, that was too much. I didn't stick with that <laughs> with long fraternity <laughs> and student government. But to really dive in and take advantage of that opportunity because it wasn't something that I grew up around a lot of, you know, and not like everyone was academic. Now I have a master's degree. My wife has a master's and a doctorate. So in our household, it's, this stuff's a little more normal, but for me, it was out of the comfort zone. And it was also something I thought, oh, that's, that's some geeky thing. And as soon as I read more about it, I'm like, I'm applying, I'm getting in, I'm going to go. And I took every bit of it with me and I still do today. Um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that's half a lifetime. So, um, 
it's a, it's a very, very valuable experience. I encourage you to apply if you haven't already. For sure. I mean, but I'm, I mean, I'm wearing my TKLA polo from the last time I was there as a facilitator. So nice. certainly, uh, certainly an influential part uh, of anybody's T career as it were. Yeah. Let's talk, uh, let's talk a little bit as far as strategies for success go. So let's think about, you know, the stuff that you've learned and applied. What, what are some things that you would share with our listeners as far as ways to continue to find that success, whether it's getting, you know, further down the road with your education or starting your own business or just trying to be a good family man? Yeah, I think uh, one, it starts with passion, right? If I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, if you're writing down the goal and you just say, I want to be a millionaire. Okay. What does that really mean? Why? What are you, what are you trying to get out of that? Is it so you can get more girls so you can have a Ferrari? So you just don't have to get up and go to work so you can send your kid to college, like really understanding that why and what you're passionate about is really, really important. Um, I think that's number one because that's your guide to a lot of other things, kind of like a mission statement. If a well-written mission statement for a company is referred to often, it can actually help make a lot of decisions for you. Um, you know, my, my old business, the, you know, Medtronic, big medical device company, they still refer to it every day. And it's a, you know, 40 plus year old statement um, in, in the boardroom all kinds of big meetings like they would always say how does this support the mission and that got drilled into my head as something like you have to have that and for each as an individual if you start a business you should definitely have it but just as an individual like what's your mission what's your mission for your family for yourself for your career for your your body your mind your spirit um, I think that drives a lot of it and then from there it comes down to prioritization there's so many distractions these days so much noise and in my current situation, you know, I'm running a company, I'm co-CEO and VP of sales at my day job, but I'm running my own company too. I have a rental property still. I sold most of them, but I do have another uh, and I have a family and I try to take care of myself. You know, I got up at five to go to the gym this morning because there's not enough time in the day if you don't get up early. Um, and if you look at a lot of the successful people out there and now these are Hollywood types, but there's a lot of others like them in business too. Like, Mark Wahlberg, The Rock, Kevin Hart, those people all get up four or five in the morning every day at the gym every day. And that's just to get started. Um, like they're doing stuff all day, every day. And that's why they keep killing it at what they do in multiple ways. Um, so get up early, prioritize, and then figure out what you're really passionate about so that those priorities become clearer and clearer. Um, and an example would be as a sales guy, uh, if some of you are doing what I've done over the years as an outside salesperson, you don't like to do your expense reports. Nobody does, but sales guys are probably the worst at it. And uh, especially when you have a corporate card and it's not on your own card, you're just like, oh, I'll do it later. I think everyone uh, can agree that expense yeah. reports are just not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. And nobody likes them. And so, well, you get away with not doing them on time if you're crushing the sales piece, right? That's your priority. That's your company's priority for you. That's probably your priority for yourself to earn more money, to be successful and, and win. Um, and so that's an easy kind of cut and dry example. You can get away with not doing your expense report every single week if you're killing it in sales usually. Some companies are strict. I'm not saying break the rules or get yourself in trouble with expense reports. Sometimes people get fired for that. But nonetheless, you know, those kinds of things help you just cut through and say, okay, I know I want to be the best salesperson. That's priority number one. 
I'm going to go win. And that's what I'm going to do. The other stuff is noise. I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, and sometimes you have to overcommit yourself or be too busy like I am. <laughs> it forces you then to think about it. Now it's like if I'm working on all outer, I'm looking at my social accounts. I'm figuring out how do I drive traffic? What retailers can I call? How do I check in or, or make time to check in with my current customers and see if I can generate another order and try to figure out which of those is going to have the most impact and then squeeze that into a day where I'm talking to the media. I did an interview with the news here in Salt Lake last week um, and that wasn't scheduled. So I had to just be ready for that call, but accomplishing other things throughout the day. And um, it, being too busy will help you figure out what you can let go and what you can live without, such as scrolling through Instagram or TikTok for, for hours on end. It's fun, but it, you know, it's not exactly accomplishing a lot for you usually. For sure. For sure. Um, so, I mean, obviously you're, you're an incredibly driven person. That's, that's evident based on what you've shared with us so far. How does that bleed into, let's talk about like a little bit like your hobbies. Like you were talking about, you know, ultras or those pieces with, with trail running at the beginning of the podcast. How does it work as far as keeping that drive going and finding the balance between the work life and then what you actually are passionate about and want to do in your free time? Yeah, well, I'll say one thing I, I use as a guide because sometimes people are like, your life sounds tiring. And I have more energy today than I did 20 years ago, honestly, um, because I'm invigorated by, you know, the momentum. Um, but one thing I said to one of my fraternity brothers back in the day, I don't remember what he wanted to do, but he kind of wanted to screw off instead of doing schoolwork. And I wasn't trying to be his mom or his dad, but I, I said, are you going to be happier if you put in all the effort and get a good grade? Or if you have fun one time tonight and get a bad grade. And I always try to think ahead in the future. And that's where the goal kind of setting ties back in. It may not always be a goal, but just thinking, what am I like today? I didn't want to get up. I was on vacation the last four days, having beer, fishing, hanging out. And uh, I didn't want to get up and go to the gym. The alarm went off by 15. And I'm just like, nope, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be happy if I don't go. And I know I'm going to be happier and do more today if I do. And so I always hold myself to that. So, but how it kind of plays in my life is um, my wife's super competitive. I'm super competitive. Uh, game nights are, are pretty fun now that our six-year-old's starting to be able to play a lot more uh, of those with us. <laughs> there's there's some crying occasionally uh, because we're all so competitive. <laughs> what, are, um, what are the games real quick? What are, what, are, yeah. what are we playing here in game nights? Oh man, she loves like card games. So crazy eights. Um, she's been learning taboo. We don't, that's the word game where you can't give the, too many hints. Um, she's getting really good at that because she can read the cards. Uno, like some of them are just like whatever cards you get kind of luck games. And so mm -hmm. she gets really upset when she can't control the outcome. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's fun. We are competitive. You know, my wife and I once played tennis and uh, I made a good shot and I smiled and she's like, why are you smiling? <laughs> and we haven't played since. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah. One and done on the tennis, apparently. <laughs> She's, yeah, she's that competitive and she says that's not the case. And we've played again since, but it was like 10 years, like from when we first dated, we didn't play until just this year. Sure. So it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so, but it's good. We drive each other. I know I would not be where I am without my wife's competitive drive, pushing me, um, you know, and me supporting, you know, when she went to school recently to get her doctorate, she had to go to Philadelphia once a month with a small kid at home. Mm -hmm. both of us working, me working two jobs. 
essentially. Um, I mean, all hours part-time for now, but it's still a lot. And, uh, you know, we support each other because we know what it's like to want to win, to be our best selves. And so we can put ourselves in the other person's shoes. You know, some relationships, one person's really driven and the other isn't. Mm-hmm. That's tough, right? They're like, why don't you just stay home? Just hang out. Let's watch a movie. And the other one's like, no, 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 I got to go run. I got to go start this business. I want to go back to school. Um, we've been kind of like this with each other in a really healthy way um, throughout our relationship. And our daughter sees that support, but also the push. And um, and she's doing great in a lot of levels, I think, because she gets that from us in different ways. For sure. I mean, that's it's really fantastic as far as the pushing and, and wanting, right, to to achieve more and, and get to a, a higher level. I, I got to ask, I mean, outside of your wife, have you you know, purposely surrounded yourself with people to help you keep that competitive nature? What, what's that like? Yeah. My, my best friend and I will pretend when we're fishing, uh, that we're not keeping count (laughs) in a few hours in one of us will just throw out the number and we know who's winning. We both know the number (laughs) every time, uh, he's got his own business, totally different space than I, um, but uh, that's been an inspiration for me. Another good friend of mine, a lot of you are probably familiar with Tommy John underwear and undershirts. He's a very good friend of mine. Uh, Tom actually officiated my wedding, helped me get into surgical device sales, which has been a big reason for a lot of my other success and, and opportunities in life because it's a very good paying industry. And he, he was in it until he launched his company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely have some of those, but I also have some good childhood friends that you know, uh, are not looking to compete or really drive themselves, but we've been, we've known each other since we were three, four or five years old and we're still in touch. And there's a value to those relationships too, um, that, that I cherish and, and I'm really thankful for, but, uh, you gotta have some of those people around you. If you don't have anybody who's kind of on your level or better than you, you know, they say you're the average of your five closest friends. So you, you gotta have some that, you know, are better than you in some way, uh, in many ways, hopefully. Um, to challenge you. And, uh, you know, when I see my friend's business doing a hundred million dollars in sales, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep chasing. So uh, it's good to see that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm in a position where I don't necessarily have a friend who's got a business with a hundred million dollars in sales, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, just hearing you say it, it's, it's certainly driving me to, to, to do more. <laughs> It can happen, man. It can. I mean, the business, my day job, when I joined, the company was valued at $10 million last December. And now we're doing a round of funding and we'll be valued at 25. And as soon as that money comes in, we'll be well above uh, that valuation just in my nine, 10 months there um, because of what we've accomplished. And those are crazy numbers. Like, and I'm co-CEO and, uh, you know, we're driving the ship and uh, making those things happen. And that's really neat to see. I've never uh, thought that that would be the world I'd be living in. You know, working for a multi-billion dollar company is one thing, but driving the ship and changing the course of it in a positive way like that is a really fun place to be. It's got to be somewhat stressful. Like let's, let's get real here for a second. How do you, how do you work and manage the stress of, you know, different jobs, growing in a business, trying to keep the family straight, like, how do you manage that stress? That's, it gets you at times. I, I've dealt with it really well, thankfully. You know, stress builds up cortisol, the hormone that basically helps you store 
belly fat. <laughs> That's one way I deal with it. I, I, for a guy who's as active as I am, I got a little cortisol going through once in a while. I notice if I don't eat perfectly well, it shows up pretty fast. The belly fat comes right back. But don't we, uh, don't we all? Really, don't we all? <laughs> it's, yeah. But it's really exercise and getting outdoors. If you're not familiar with this concept, it sounds silly, but because of the way things were growing so fast in Japan in the 80s, people weren't happy. And they did a study and they determined um, that forest bathing, or it's called Shinrin Yoku, which is really meant to be just in the forest, in the woods, outdoors, away from city sounds and work and just take it in. Now I do it running fast and just grinding and huffing and puffing and sore. Uh, I don't always sit still like I should, but I still get some of that benefit of being in the outdoors. My back backyard is a 9,600 foot peak. I can climb that. I can be at the trailhead in two minutes and I can go climb that. I mean, I have such amazing access. I know not everybody has that, but even just getting to a park near a lake, hearing the sound of water, all those things are just critical. And if you mix it in with exercise, you're doing yourself, you know, a double bonus uh, from a de-stress standpoint um, and doing it alone. I mean, being around people is important. We've all probably felt that more this year than ever. Uh, even independent people like me, like I want to hug my mom. I can't. <laughs> um, it's a, a weird time we're living in. And we, I think we all recognize how much we need people more than ever, but time alone is really valuable. I came up with the ideas for my business alone. You're able to think through stressful things, you know, pre-think about a difficult conversation you're going to have, but if you're constantly around other people, you don't get to do that. Um, and that real unwinding uh, for me and idea time comes when I'm just alone running up a mountain and I don't see anybody all day. Um, that's some of the best time my brain and body can, can have. There's something to be said as far as the relaxing nature and being able to center yourself surrounding that. Yep. Finding ways to have those relaxing things be closer to you. And whether that means moving to Salt Lake city, like you are, and, uh, or just figuring out what are those things that are, make you happy, that help you relax, get you outdoors, get you exercising, um, make those easy um, and make it close to you and make the changes necessary to make that happen. And that will tie right back to what we started with, which is goals. If you want to get outside more, okay, then living in New York City, unless you want to just go to Central Park, probably is not the best place for you in the long run. doesn't mean it's not a great place to live, but that's probably not the best place to be outdoors all the time. Um, and there's other places like Boulder, Salt Lake, Denver, California, a lot of places. So just thinking about those things and, and tying it back to what's going to make you happy, help you relax. And we're all going to get stressed and too busy hmm. in our lives, especially once you have kids or start a business. Those are two big ones that just, you, you feel like it's a blur um, for a long time. <laughs> you're, you're managing both, my man. You're managing both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so balance, balance is important. I didn't touch on that earlier. You know, when I said, uh, about having the passion and uh, really understanding how to prioritize, but also just balance, making time for that balance, whether that's getting up at four in the morning to work out, carving out time for the family or the phones put away, computers put away, whatever those things are for you, but you got to have some balance and, and do those things that you know you need to do that are good for you. Fantastic. So, I mean, Tony, obviously you talked about what it's like to to manage stress and the pieces for you of, you know, what you go through and what you walk through, how do you work towards some of those big like overarching goals or like 
you know, occasionally you have to have hit a roadblock or two here or there. Like, what's your process for overcoming that? So a couple of things I do. One thing I do a lot is uh, put a structure to it. Um, when I started in sales, I wasn't very good. So I got good at sales process and became, you know, much better at it. And that makes me also better at training others because it's not a born skill. It's a teachable skill. Um, and so when it comes to any big goal, now I have a process and what it looks like for, it would really be like an org chart to most people's eyes at first glance. So like, you know, you have your president or CEO at the top and then the leadership team and the middle managers. Well, instead of that, you at the top, you have your goal and you have to be really clear about it. I do it in Excel. It's just a little box. You got to be able to fit that goal in a little box and everything's color coded. So you have the goals then you have the strategies, which would be where your leadership team goes and kind of the org chart analogy. And then below that would be all your managers and departments. And those are your tasks. Those are the actions, the things you need to do to drive that strategy that achieves the ultimate goal. So for really complex sales, that that's a godsend. And I, I use it um, always um, for other things personally. And in my own business, I also put it together and it really forces you to define the goal clearly. Um, and put time to it and all those things, but really clearly so you don't have a strategy. Like an example would be like, um, you know, win the business at account ABC. Okay, that's the goal, sure. Uh, you could be more specific, but you gotta have that goal. And some of the other things would be like, um, identify key stakeholders. So you figure out who the people are who influence the decision, and then they would be all those tasks, make contact with customer A, B, C, D, CEO, CFO, figuring out how those people are. And even below that, you might have some additional like tactics and tasks and how to get to those people, like call my friend who works for them or whatever those, those steps might be. Um, so I really break it down and that makes it that big goal feel actionable and you know what to do. And you start with everything color coded red because you haven't done anything yet, except make this chart. As you get into the process, they turn yellow. As you complete the process, they turn uh, green. So then you know when you're making progress and you can make new versions of it. So you can even do tabs in the spreadsheet and see how you go. And I find that to be really helpful. And then when you get stuck, well, what I try to do with anything where you're stuck or uncomfortable is do that first. Um, so if I anticipate in a, you know, my surgical world, if I know there's a surgeon that's gonna be a problem, I'm not going to wait till I get everybody else on board and then go to this person who's going to ruin the whole deal. I'm going to go to that person day one. I'm going to win them over now, or at least start the process of winning them over so that when we get to the final decision, that person's not an issue uh, and we've won them over. So it's really, you know, that eat the frog mentality, whatever you want to call it, um, do what's uncomfortable and do it first um, really helps just avoid the roadblocks or limit them and uh, slow them down and keep them from really make, turn them into speed bumps instead of roadblocks by just getting after them first, identifying them, and then having some control over the process by really having it defined for yourself ahead of time, having that roadmap. Yeah, I mean, I think that's huge. I think you touching on the piece in general of not putting what's difficult or what you know is going to be arduous to the back burner essentially and going out there and attacking and getting in front of it as far as dealing with what could be a potential problem much smarter way to to handle things and uh i can imagine that as a small business owner that you know you, you have to keep that mentality right 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we trick ourselves into comfort. We trick ourselves into thinking, well, I shouldn't go to the, do that difficult thing until I at least do these easy things. That's just trying to be comfortable. It's trying to take the easier route. If you do that, especially if it is that example I gave where one person can ruin the whole thing anyways in your sales process or your, uh, you know, building your company process. Like if you're like, hey, I'm going to need a million dollars just to get started, but I got to go do a bunch of other things first. It's like, well, if you know you're going to need the million dollars, you better figure out a path to get that million dollars or a hundred dollars, whatever you need to start your business that you don't have and figure out those things. And that goes back to that earlier uh, comment about prioritization. What's the most important and the most difficult thing you can do each day? Start with that. Um, and you're going to be a lot better off for it. That's for sure. Absolutely. So let's, let's change gears here a little bit. I mean, obviously you talked about being in in salt lake i mean that that strikes a chord for me that hits home before i even came on to peaks professional staff i lived in park city myself so it's actually share a funny story here i took my first round of interview calls uh from park city mountain resort up on the mountain from one of the lift shacks so (laughs) definitely uh definitely hits home making the move for from the midwest out there i mean was it predominantly just uh so you could be outdoors i mean was that the thought process or it was actually a job uh i tried to get promoted uh a few other places there wasn't an opportunity locally and uh, the few others i had tried in uh, florida and connecticut were not places i loved the idea of moving to but um they had already chosen a local candidate so i really didn't get to interview for those jobs and then when this one came up and i actually had a shot at it my wife and i came out and, uh, you know, being Utah is not exactly a, a diverse place. My wife's Indian. And so she was kind of like, oh, what are we going to run into there? So we came and explored and we realized it's actually a very vibrant city. You know, you get in the rural parts, it's pretty much only white people, um, which is fine. But it, and it's not a very, I think there's a lot more racial tension in a lot of other cities, uh, frankly, than you see here. But uh, nonetheless, that was a concern. So we explored it, but then we saw the mountains and we're like, okay, this is cooler than I thought. It's not like Denver where they're far away. Love Denver, but the mountains are still pretty far. Um, and so we were like, this, is, this could be a fun place for us. And so then I really drove after that job hard for the next few weeks and got the offer and we moved about a month later. And uh, it was just one of those things. Like when I was in Minnesota, I was a golfer, uh, played golf like 50 rounds a year. I moved here. I think I played once in the first year I was here, even though there's great golf, it's less expensive. The ball goes farther. Um, Elevation. I totally went into the mountains and never looked back. And uh, I uh, just started hiking and mountain biking and skiing. And I barely skied before moving here. Now I've, you know, backcountry ski and have multiple resort passes. And it just went kind of one of those things that just took over uh, my, my being. I'm a sure. now. <laughs> let's uh let's talk a little bit about that that skiing so multiple resort passes are you uh you supporting epic icon what are what are we doing yeah so i have the brighton pass and then the icon yeah. um base pass came with my brighton pass i bought like their better version so i mm-hmm. solitude and brighton are my two closest resorts so i go there and that uh, that covers those and then i have friends that come visit with epic passes and last year some trips were canceled so I had the Epic Pass thinking I'd go with them, didn't use it. So I got an Epic Pass for $200 this year. Oh, so wow. I was like, I might as well get it. I, I probably won't again. It's too far 
away from where I usually am skiing, but uh, yeah, so kind of almost everything in the state is covered now. <laughs> I at least get a day or two at anywhere I want to go. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like it. I'm a little jealous. I, mean, I wish I had as much, quite as much freedom. I'm just, just running the icon myself, but. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one though for around here. It'll be fun. And we'll get you out in the back country too, where the, the real snow is. Yeah. So, that, I mean, I got to ask a little bit more about that. I mean, obviously I'm a, I'm a big skier, but I'm normally resort only kind of guy. I mean, what was it like getting into, you know, full backcountry setup, Abbey gear, like getting educated on that? Yeah. It's a little bit daunting, right? It is. You know, I got a, I went with a guide the first time and I tell my friend, this who's a pilot for JetBlue. Um, I, I, as I've flown a plane before and I know what it's like that first time you take off, it's pretty amazing. And so I explained to him, I said, it's, it's, it's the closest thing to flying you could ever do. And you're going to do it all under your own power, which is pretty cool. So the first time I went, it was two, three days post storm, but it was a, a nice slope, like 42 degrees or so pretty steep. And, uh, but two feet of powder on the non and ski, no tracks, no ruts, no groomers, no ice. And I was just floating. I was nowhere near the surface of the earth. I mean, the, the closest I got probably was a rock, maybe five feet down. If you think about that, the actual powder was two feet, but total snowpack was significant. So I was nowhere near the actual earth technically <laughs> in that sense. Like I was way up there and the feeling of that snow is so different than resort on a powder day, unless it's 18 inches, can't compare. It's still not the same. It's great, it's still fun, but uh, the side country and the back country uh, is just a whole nother world. I enjoy the serenity, the quiet, uh, the challenge, knowing the route, having to figure out, okay, where are we gonna go? Um, how do we stay on top and stay safe? What are the risks uh, throughout and planning that? And I go through that every morning. I read the Abbey report. I pretend I'm in one of the areas I know and pretend I'm either going to go there or not and why. Um, and it's just a great way to keep your, your avalanche skills sharp. Um, and so I love that piece of it, that planning. And then uh, it's just awesome exercise. You just grind and just sweating up a hill uh and then you ski down and you want to do it again even though you're tired <laughs> it's just it's a blast you don't get as much skiing in but the skiing you get is world class and it's i mean it's earn your turns right at that point it's you're not riding the lift man it's it's all about the the, the power of your own feet that you get there so right it's and cool it's, uh, it's fun you know and everything plays together mountain biking uh trail running it all is feeds that so like some guys only backcountry ski and then they mountain bike riding the chairlift and mountain bike down and mm -hmm. so when skiing season starts they're kind of struggling and i'm just flying up the hill so um it's, a, it's just a great kind of cross training through the seasons here the different things you can do if you're into it yeah i can i can imagine i mean so i i actually was just in acadia national park last week um got a got a little trail running in myself uh you know, are there any tips or recommendations that you would give to somebody who's like looking to get into that? I mean, I feel like it's something I'm starting to pick up a little more. Um, into trail running specifically? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a couple things, you know, some people think of uh, running as boring. They want to listen to music. If you're running in the true wilderness at all or a park where it could be dangerous in a bigger city, that kind of thing, headphones are a bad idea. People can sneak up on you. Animals can sneak up on you. You can sneak up on them. My first business idea was actually headphones for running. I used to do triathlons and, and more road running, but I never liked it. I just needed to tune out. 
trail running is the exact opposite. And in my opinion, it's a completely different sport for this reason. Your brain actually can form new synapse uh, from trail running. You become smarter because you're trail running. The reason is you're making decisions almost every foot strike while your brain is depleted of oxygen because you're working so hard, especially if you're going at altitude. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did three peaks in one run and uh, you know, it was all around 10,000 feet. So my brain's struggling to get the oxygen it needs and I'm placing my hand on rocks and just trying to keep moving. And every decision I make actually had a you know, potential risk, not just a little injury, like a big fall, um, right. even death on a few edges that I was on. And so going through that exercise actually makes you smarter um, and your brain a little bit sharper. Road running, I don't see that happening. I don't know if anyone studied it, but the study I read was about trail running. And when people are like, oh, running, how do you do it? And it's like, I mean, I'm running with moose, mountain goats, as you can see here, uh, deer, you know, all kinds of birds, uh, wildflowers, waterfalls. It's like, there's just all this beauty around me. And I try to take that in as much as I can while I'm still paying attention to my, my foot strikes. Um, but that's a big one. Really be engaged, be in the moment. Do not try to tune out because um, then you're missing a lot of the point and the fun and frankly, the future motivation. As you get to the top of a peak or you make that cool wildlife sighting, um, you're going to want to go do it again. But if you miss that because you're tuning out on a podcast or an audiobook, as cool as podcasts are, trail running is not the best time probably for it. Um, so that's a big one. You know, you probably don't need as much as you think you do. You still want to be safe if you don't know the terrain or you're going on a longer adventure, but start small, you know, and, and carry maybe a little more than you need, but eventually whittle that down as you gain comfort. You really don't need as much. And it's a nice reminder if you're not a big camping person, I am. Camping's another good reminder of just, we don't need a lot of the stuff we think we need and the clutter in our lives and our houses and apartments. And uh, trail running is another good reminder of that. You just have your shoes and the hydration pack in the car and a couple gels or goos, and I can go run 10, 15 miles. And that's all I need. Even if I didn't eat breakfast, that's just, you realize you need a lot less than we, we tend to take in, uh, in our lives. So it's a, it's a good reminder of that. And then shoes, try different shoes. You got to have the ones that are right for you. Uh, a lot of injuries can happen. Uh, I think that's an important one. Go to a good running store and get fitted. Um, and then be prepared to maybe try a few pairs that are 150 to 180 bucks. Um, it's well worth it once you find the ones you like. For sure. For sure. I mean, I, I can't speak enough as far as the going and getting fitted piece. I mean, I, I, like I said, starting to do a little more trail running myself, but I definitely run on the road quite frequently and the shoes, they matter. They absolutely matter. Absolutely. And one thing I'll say is no cotton. In case those of you aren't big outdoors people to listen, no cotton socks, no cotton, anything touching your skin. That's for lounging around the house or around the campfire. Um, you know, it should be a tech material or, or merino wool. It should be the only thing that really touches your skin when you're moving like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Tony, obviously we've, we've covered a, a lot of ground today. I mean, we talked about skiing, talked about trail running, talked about setting goals, leadership Academy, you know, if this has struck a chord for anybody out there and they want to get a hold of you, they want to follow you, they want to know what you're doing, how can guys get in touch with you? Yeah, feel free, guys. And anytime, just email me at Tony at allouter.com. So T-O-N-Y at A-L-L-O-U-T-E-R.com. 
And that's also our website, allouter.com, where I've created a discount code for the fraternity. Uh, so it's YITB for yours in the bond, you get 20% off. And I'll just leave that up. That's evergreen. Just come on and uh, check us out. And we appreciate the support if you see something you'd like. Uh, or if you have questions about any of that gear as well, feel free to, to shoot me a note. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook frequently uh, at All Outer Gear. So give us a follow, check us out. We have a lot of cool stuff we post on there and uh, new products that come out will get posted there first. So that'll be a great place to kind of keep tabs on us and keep in touch. Awesome, Tony. Well, I appreciate the time today. I appreciate the sentiments that you're able to share and look forward to hopefully, you know, getting out there and meeting you in person here in Salt Lake real, real soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Look forward to meeting you.